I've been on 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 for now probably pushing three months, and that's okay. I just keep using it as a springboard. The old has come. Those in Christ, the old has come, or has gone, the new has come. The old has gone. The self that we uh, were, were, were bound in sin to, that self has died in the hell. The cell that was bound for destruction, that self has died and the new has come. Galatians 2.20 tells us what that new is. And anybody know Galatians 2.20? We say it just about every day as well, every Sunday as well. For I'm crucified with, therefore I no longer live, but... Jesus lives in me. I, I, I feel like for some reason this is so imperative that I'm preaching, springing all this for the last three months, and I'm hoping that we catch hold of this if we haven't already. I want you to just repeat after me. I'm going to do a Jim Chapel here because I know that he did that just to make sure we were saying it. I want you to repeat after me. You don't bring Jesus into your life. Hey, let's make it more personal. I don't bring Jesus into my life. He becomes my life. Did you hear what you just said? I don't bring Jesus into my life. He becomes my life. See, for the longest time we've lived, I feel like we, we, we have gotten it so twisted in our heads that if we do the right thing and, and do it right and, and get it all together and we read enough and we pray enough and, and we come to church enough, then somehow we will be the Christian God's called us to be. But the problem is we fail every time and we get disappointed and pretty soon we end up with, at best, lukewarm Christians. Thank you, Sherry. I, I'm using Sherry to spring off of because she's the only one really with me right now. Right, Sherry? Oh, I'm there you go. Jer she was with Gerald Chapman all week. So when you're with Dr. Chapman, you got to respond, right? You got to respond. See, here's the thing. I want to make sure before we go any further today, the gospel, anybody ever heard of the gospel? The good news is not was not brought in for our Benefit alone. Now let me just put that in kid terms. The gospel is not Santa Claus. The gospel is not Santa Claus. If I follow Jesus, I get what I want. Oh, come on now. How many of us have had that? And I know I just oversimplified it. I know. But we've had it somehow presented in such a way... You need Jesus. He'll change your life. He'll make it all better. You know, you start to hear that. And whether that was said that way, many times we do what? We translate it and we receive it that way. And then what happens? Three, four, five, six. Then A, who gets the blame? Getting everything you want. Then A, who gets the blame? Maybe it starts with you. I'm just not doing it right. But eventually, who gets the blame? He does. And eventually, we have... People writing blogs about how they used to be Christians, but they're not anymore. Who's with me right now? Okay, okay, I just want to make sure here. See, the gospel is not to benefit us. It's to transform us. See, when we try to make the gospel something to make our life better, we've already messed up. Because the gospel is not here to make our life better. It's to get rid of our life and fill us with new life. 
Amen? So that's what that is. We can't be self-focused. We can't be looking at ourselves. we got to be God-focused. I'm just starting a little intro here. See, it's not our will, it's whose will? We don't like that. Oh, we talk a big game. Your will, Lord, your will, your will. But secretly and privately, and that's okay, you're praying whose will? Come on. And you are dictated, even though we walk around, oh, I love Christians that do this. Something doesn't go the way they thought it should go. And they're all like, we just know it was God's will. We know it's God's will that this terrible thing has happened. <laughs> right? Because if I was God, it wouldn't have happened this way. Right? But secretly, what are we harboring against God? Right? Who's with me? Come on, come on. I know it's rainy out, but hey, I, I wore a bright green shirt just to kind of... I'll wear Christmas lights next week, you know. <laughs> it's not trying to find purpose, but being filled with his love. Okay? It's not trying to find your happy place. Anybody spend time trying to find your happy place? <laughs> it's not about, about trying to find your happy place. It's about being filled with his joy. Okay? It's not about being comfortable. Who likes being comfortable? Oh, we like it. Don't make us do anything weird and uncomfortable. That's why people like to go to churches that help them disappear into the pew. And I'm nice. I'm sensitive towards that. But you came to the wrong place. <laughs> I think when we gather together, there's you jumping jacks in your pew. But I think when we gather together, there's something corporate about it. Corporate, where, that, that God just meets with us and says, hey, I want to talk to you as my body. I want to speak to you. But we're all sitting in our little, self, happy, comfortable <laughs> places. And if you're my daughter, Katie, you're dreaming of Golden Corral. <laughs> Katie has planned the next 12 birthday breakfasts for us, and it's very easy. Golden Corral. Golden Corral. Uh. Folks, the gospel, and please grab this real quick, the gospel is not about our perception, it's about truth. How many know perception? Anybody ever heard of that perception is truth? Well, false truth. I think that's a better way of putting it. Perception is false truth. We think it's truth because that's what we're perceiving, but is it truly what happened most of the time? Is it really the truth most of the time? No, it's not. The gospel is not about our perception. The gospel is about the truth. So, Karen, I love how we had board meeting here just about 10 minutes ago. And I'm hoping, what time should we, what time should we have church next week? <laughs> Anybody? <laughs> that was awesome, Karen. I sat there going, what the heck, man? This is about as informal as it gets, isn't it? 
This is about as informal as it gets. And this is, it's, we are who we are. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> but here's the thing, Karen. God loves you. And he adores you. And he desires to restore you. But you are not the center of this story. Marcellus, God adores you. He wants to restore you. He loves you, but you are not the center of the gospel. Aren't you glad? Doesn't that take the pressure off? No, there's only one who's the center. Right? Now, let's just get our arms get working out a little bit. How many of us have tried to make the gospel the, uh, uh, the gospel, us, the center of the gospel. Oh, come on. Oh, God, if you really, really are true and love me, you wouldn't make that ring like that. If you were really, really who you say you are, why am I going through what I'm going through? As if of the story. We are no different when we do that than a horse with blinders on. Because we think we know. We think we know how Grant's hair is standing up. We think we understand the physics behind that. We think we know, but here's the problem. We don't know. The only thing we do know is that God is on the throne. Okay, this is what I want to touch in on real quick, so please hear me just for a moment, okay? Something that really is a struggle. Last week we talked about hell. We cannot escape the fact that God has saved us from hell, amen? Hell is a real place. You say, well, how does that fit into whole, the old is gone, the new has come? Because I'm going to tell you what, we have to at times come back to what we were first saved from, hell. Hell is a real place. Saying it's not doesn't make it go away. It's real, because I take what the Word says as truth. It's a real place. God did not build it for you. He did not create it for you or me. He did not have any intention. In fact, honestly, it got added to his job description when it came to having to put people in hell. That was not his original job description. Does everyone understand that? He would not have it that anyone would perish, but all would come to life. Why? Because he hates sending people where? He hates it, or he wouldn't have sent Jesus. If he liked sending people to hell, Jesus wouldn't have been an issue. Come on. Oh, I just, I, I, I get, what kind of loving God sends people to hell? The kind that sent Jesus and said, this is the way out. Uh, I think like six people are with me. Come on now. This is the way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. I am the example of God's love that says, I don't want to send people to hell. Follow me. Right? But see, what happens is this. How many of you struggle? You, you start off well. You start off loving God. You hit those moments. We call them mountaintop experiences. But suddenly you find yourself just kind of... Huh, lost your passion, lost your zeal in serving the Lord. Anybody here today like that? Uh, wow. Nobody. Wow, you might have been passion-filled, zeal-filled, loving people. 
How many have lost their passion at times of serving Jesus? I mean, if someone comes up to you, how is God moving? Absolutely. Absolutely. How is God moving in your life? Well, He saved me. Yeah, amen. What did He do today in your life? Well, you ever notice in small groups, Bible studies, you just give a praise report. What's going on today? Everybody. And people are at times, it's just the crickets wanting to praise you. lost your zeal. Because you can't see because you've lost your passion. You've lost your zeal. And honesty, who can't you see? Who have you lost sight of? And the crazy part is he never moved. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 3. I think I just spit on myself. That's a record, man. I know I'm preaching today because I spit on myself. <laughs> That's the ultimate. Some people have a tear-stained Bible. I have a spit-stained Bible. Yeah. That's awesome. Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to start just at verse 14. Jesus had written seven letters uh, in, in the book of Revelation uh, to seven different churches and uh, seven different things he wanted to say, and I think they all apply to us, but I just really felt heavy to get into the church of Laodicea for a moment today. Everybody at verse 14? Revelation 3, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write. Here we go now, okay? These are the words of the Amen, so let it be. The faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Now here we go, verse 15. I know your deeds. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other, so, because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I like the King James Version better. I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. That just emphasizes it, doesn't it? You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love rebuke and discipline. I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. C.S. Lewis, I'm sure some of you have heard of him before. C.S. Lewis said this, Christianity, don't miss this here, Christianity, if false, if it's false, is of no importance to anybody. Okay? If Christianity is false, it's of no importance to anybody. Okay? Now, if it's true, it's of infinite importance. Amen? But the one thing that Christianity cannot be is moderately important. Christianity cannot be true, taking serious the gospel and what he has said about himself and what it is that God has done and what it is that he says about Jordan and everybody else in this place. That can either be taken as completely false or completely true. You cannot take it halfway. All right, who's with me thus far? Yeah. 
You cannot take the gospel halfway. It's one or the other, right? One or the other. So when we get back up here in verse 15, and this is, this is the one we're going to just dig into just the, the most. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. Well, basically, if you really get into it, cold means apathetic. By the way, does anybody know that, that, that this is not talking to unbelievers? This is talking to the church. Yeah. <laughs> Point to yourself if you're in Christ. This is to you. Okay? It says, you're either apathetic. Anybody know what apathetic means? It means you just kind of live life going, eh, whatever, I don't care. There's more important things to do. You ever invited somebody to do something with you and they're like, if I have something better and don't have something better to do, sure, I'll come. How's that feel? <laughs> if I don't have something better to do. So it means either cold with apathy or hot with passion and zeal. See, God wants to look at us and at least see one or the other. You say, why? Because anything in between is absolutely sickening to him. Because he did not come to give you a half answer. He came to present something to you and to you and to you to make a decision. Yes or no, not maybe. Yes or no? You follow me? Okay. So, what do we usually do? What does the church usually do? Well, we live in this, we get into this, I've got to mode. Oh, I'm a Christian. It's the right thing to do to go to church. Oh, I'm going to try to squeeze it in once a month. It's the right thing to do to open the Bible. There, we did it. It's the right thing to do to pray. Thank you, God. Amen. It's the right thing to do to love people. Hey, I let that person have my parking spot. It's the right thing to do because I got to do it. But how many know that Christianity is not built on I got to's? But how many of us have been guilty of just going through the motions? Because you got to. So what we end up doing is getting by with as little as possible. We do just enough. Oh, man, my freshman year of college was ridiculous. First thing I do when I get to class was find out how many days I could miss without being counted against me. <laughs> I'm not lying. Then I'd schedule them out when I can take them off, you know? Come on, like none of y'all ever did that? You just, just enough to get by. How many days do I have to go? Now, what was dangerous was when the class didn't have a certain number of days you could miss. It was just open to you. That's dangerous because you end up missing too many days and then you get yourself in trouble. But you're always trying to get by with just as much as you possibly can. Right? Okay. See, you don't really believe that he is. Here's the problem. You don't believe that he is who he says he is. You don't. You don't believe that what he has done is more sufficient than anything else in this world. And you don't believe that what he has said about you is that he sings over you every morning. That he is for you and not against you. That no greater love has any man that he lay down his life. That's what he did. For who? For me. 
We don't believe those things, so we struggle in the, in, because we're focused on the gospel with us at the center of the story. How many know we got to stop trying to be the center of the story? We are not the sun. Jesus is. See, here's the thing. Unbelief is so interesting. I love how they say, you know, Christians, you don't hear it as much because there's a whole new slew of of things thrown at Christians and other people. But, you know, I remember being called narrow-minded because I was a believer. But what I have found is that unbelief is actually narrow-minded. And I'll tell you why. Because unbelief wants to only believe what it sees. You following me? Unbelief only wants to believe what it what? Sees. Therefore, faith believes beyond what it can. Who's the narrow-minded one? Unbelief is, by nature. I mean, if you really want to get honest, let's break into it. Unbelief is narrow-minded. Because they refuse to go beyond what they can see. Okay? Who's with me? Unbelief is narrow-mindedness. And here's the thing. Unbelief basically fails to see that God is who He says He is, that God has done what He said He's done, and what God says over us. Unbelief fails to see that. Now, I'm still talking to the church. I'm not talking to unbelievers. I'm talking to the church. How many know we get ourselves in trouble? Because it doesn't fall into our scope of vision, we start saying, well, this gospel thing isn't really happening for me. Now, you may not say that out of your mouth. You may not have that as the first thought, but guess what your life starts to show? A passionless, lack of zeal life for Jesus. Jesus. Yay. It's not changing you. You're just going through motions. Romans 12 says this. Dave Thompson be enthusiastic to serve the Lord. What's that word? Be what? Another word is be passionate. And that whole idea of serving isn't being, oh God, tell me what to do. No, it's about, hey, it's not about me. It's about who? Him and what he desires. Keep your passion toward him boiling hot. (laughs) I like that. Radiate with the glow of the Holy Spirit. Let him fill you with excitement as you serve him. Now, why do we struggle though? Why do we get so passionless? Why do we fall apart? Why do we just find ourselves going through the motions to the point where, by nature, by name, here's the crazy part. There's still a majority of people in America that would call themselves a what? A majority, a slight majority, but would still call themselves. Right? I don't mean they're going to church. I think we're down to about 22% of the, uh, the population, actually, maybe 17% actually goes to church. So church isn't a good gauge, you know what I mean? Necessarily either. But at least a majority would still, a small, maybe 51, 52% would say, on paper, Christian. But the problem is this, are they? You say, how can you judge? I'm not. I'm just asking a simple question. Are they? What I have found is this. 
when someone touches into the things of the Lord, not what he can do for us, but what he has already done in us, said over us, changing us. When someone gets out of the realm of unbelief and starts believing that, things are very different. You can't just go on the whole Christian label. My bigger question is, are you truly a believer? Well, yeah, I believe God, but believe in God, but do you believe God, what he says? Do you believe what he's done? I think what happens is this. We get out, we set out, and we're going to see God do great things, and we're going to get there, and we find that there's a world that does not want to hear it. And we find out that what we want in our will, what's out there, isn't always going to be fulfilled by, what, by, by, by every aim uh, of God simply because we want it so bad. And before you know it, we start blaming God for the very things that He never told us we'd have in the first place. Because our eyes are on the wrong things. Let me get moving a little bit further in here. If Satan, please don't miss this. If Satan can use a trial in your life, don't miss this, please. If Satan can use a trial and tribulation in your life, if he can use a, an illness in your life, if he can use a situation in your life, if he can use a person in your life, if he can use a hobby in your life to get your focus, then he's got you. If he can use anything to get your focus, he's got you. Why do people lose their passion? Because where does our focus go all too easy? Our world. Our stuff, our things, our happiness, our comfort, our, our, our. I heard a story of a pastor. I've spoken of him many a time, but I just, I loved what he had to say. He was pastoring a church. Some witches were coming into the church involved in witchcraft. And I'm not talking about pointy hat stuff. I'm talking about people really dabbling in demonic things and were cursing him. He said, I'm laying in bed one night, and he said, and I felt this, this presence walk in my room, and this thought came to my mind. He said, I knew it wasn't the Lord. I'm going to inflict your leg, and you're going to lose it. Well, of course, he said, you know what? That's fine if you want to enter my room, but the Lord's in here, so there's not a whole lot you can do. Now, he wakes up the next day, and he can't move his leg. I'm going to keep this short. For 10 days, he drugged that leg around. He finally went to the doctor. <clears throat> Doctors are saying, we're going to have to take it. It's just infected. It's just awful. <clears throat> he said, I just don't believe that this is actually a physical medical issue. I think the enemy is trying to get my... And he said, he said none of that was that hard. He said, uh, he said, the hard thing was good brothers in the Lord would sit down and pat him on the, uh, on the shoulder and say, man, come on, you got to get real here. You got to deal with reality here. 
I know you're afraid this is going to take your testimony away and what you've been preaching is going to kind of remove, but hey, man, we're talking about your leg. Have you seen your leg? And his pastor looked at his other brother and said, um, no, because my eyes aren't on my leg. <laughs> my eyes are on Jesus. And he said, you know what? I walked up to another brother. And this other brother was like, I just don't know how I can be, how, this is such a struggle. You're, you're such a man of God. How is it that Satan was allowed to touch you? He's touched you. And, and this pastor looks up and looks at, look, looks at the brother in his eyes and says, I want you to look in my eyes. Has Satan really touched me? With a smile on his face. No. See, we think that when our leg or our arm or something physical, and I'm guilty of this too, when something's going wrong, it's all going wrong. But what matters most? The spirit that God made alive. That's right. See, there's a bigger picture here. There's a bigger vision here. God is concerned with your spirit. And he wants to transform and he wants to change all that by making you alive and moving in a mighty way. And he says, the enemy, if he can get anything to get your attention off of the Father, you will lose your passion, you will lose your zeal, and you will become a fruitless disciple. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what Satan wants to do. Oh, I'm busy. You want to know what? Your busy schedules are an idol. And so is mine. Uh, people don't like to like shut up nowadays. Leave us alone. Our busyness is an idol. Don't think that it's just per chance that life is getting busier all the time. This is Satan's plan. Yeah. Oh, great. Now we're, now we're making our busy schedule Satan's plan? Yes, we are. That's what's happened. How many of you all have your eyes caught on your schedule almost daily, hourly, minute? How many are stuck to their phones and their, in, in the calendars and their phone and as well anything to do to get your focus off of truth? And none of those things are wrong except they've taken our focus. And we've lost our passion. We've lost our zeal. That's why people don't care about gathering together anymore. Uh, is, it, is this too much today? You feel like I'm yelling at you? I hope not, because I'm serious, man. The Lord wants to make you passionate, passionate, passionate followers of Him. That doesn't mean that everything's going A-OK in your existence around you, but your spirit is alive and well. Does anybody hear that at all? In fact, Galatians 6 says, Don't allow yourselves to be weary or disheartened in planting good seeds. There's a time of reaping that's coming. It's coming, guys. Just keep it up. I know it looks tough. I know everything in America seems to be spiraling. And and, and that is so true. And I'm just like, ah. But you know what? Even if we get our eyes on what's wrong with America, which I'm so guilty of, that's as long as the enemy can get my attention. Right? Right? Right. Even stuff that, you know, Christians are great at it. We're oftentimes known for what we don't believe in and what we don't stand for because we're so angry about it. Everybody's walking around, my rights, my rights, my rights, my rights, my rights as a Christian, my rights as a Christian. Get your eyes off your rights as a Christian and get your eyes on Jesus. That's right. That's right. Amen. 
Right? Right. It's going to sound rough, but you know what? You get thrown in the Colosseum to the lions. Now, I'm just speaking from a broader sense. Does my flesh feel that way? No way, man. I better have some shoes on to run hard. But in our spirit, we're like... But see, we're caught up with that. Don't want to offend, don't want to hurt, don't want to share Jesus with anybody. So we don't let any love come pouring out. Bottom line is this. If I let who God is and what He's done and what He says about me be defined by what's going on around me, then I will never truly experience the power of God. Let me say it one more time. If I let God Almighty, who has done amazing, great things already, He's just waiting for us to take Him. And He declares over us, if we define Him based on our experience, whether it be with struggles in life, trials, tribulations, if we define Him based on our trials and tribulations, we're never going to really experience Him. Because God is still truth regardless of the trials and tribulations we go through. God is still truth. That's why I said consider it pure joy, brothers, whenever you go through them. Why? Because God's truth trumps them. He brings us through the trials and the tribulations. Oh, but God, you can't understand my past. Yes, he does. And yet he still says, come here. Get your eyes off your past. And look at what I have for you now. Oh, God, but that's so hard. I know, but let, that's why you need to know what I'm saying. So you start to see that your past, while it cannot be changed, you can be set free from the bondage of constantly looking back at your past. You are not who your past, what your past was. You're not. You're not. Even people on the people around here today are just like, whatever. Whatever. No, guys, I'm being serious. What I'm saying is this. It's not till I walk by faith and not by feelings and not by perception that I truly see him in the midst of every situation. If I want my passion back, it starts as, it's time for me to keep my eyes on Jesus regardless of what's going on around me. If we run to this or run to that or run to this or run to that or make this kind of false accusation against God or make this statement against people and I just keep doing that, I will not experience God's presence and I will lose my passion. I want God, and I want to be a passion-filled believer that oozes God. I don't know about the rest of y'all, but I do. That's what I want. Does anybody else want that? That's what I want. See, folks, this is what happened with the church of Ephesus. Everybody remember that little story? This one thing I hold against you, you lost your... What? See, they got wrapped up in the ministry. Come on now. They got wrapped up in the ministry. Guess who was behind that? Oh, that's right. Keep doing good stuff. Oh, that's right. That's right. You just keep taking care of things. You just do it in your own strength. Get out there. Yeah. 
Okay, now you guys are a great social, social, uh, uh, social services club here. This is good. You're taking care of, oh, that's right. You stand against that stuff. That's right. You pick at that. You better do that. That's good. That's good. And they're doing that stuff and doing that stuff, and it's looking good. And guess what? Jesus swoops in and says, this one thing I hold against you. You forgot about me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you forgot about me. Anybody hear that? You forgot about me. I'm first. I got to be first, and you're going to do this. I got to be first. You're going to lose your passion. Proverbs 4 says, above all else, guard your what? Hearts. Also translates your affections. Guard them because they influence everything in your, in your, in your life. Guard your heart. Don't just base it on what you see. Base it on what you know by faith. So here's the thing in verse 16. I'm going to land this thing. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to what? Now here's the funny part and the beautiful part. This is not full rejection. God's just, Jesus is actually saying, hey, I really am the God of second chances. I'm just warning you. Notice he didn't say I am spitting you out. Anybody ever read it that way before? I am spitting you out. You've thought, oh no, here it comes. If I don't do it this way or this way. No, Jesus is saying, hey, I love you enough to warn you. This is not a rejection of me. This is a warning. I don't want this to happen to you. I don't want this to happen to you. I just want you to open your eyes and see. So it goes on to say here in verse 18. I'm sorry, 17. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth, and I don't need a thing. But you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Bottom line is this. How many know that we think if we just make a tweak or a change about ourselves or our situation around us, everything will be okay? But the more we tweak and change, try to change ourselves, do you know that self-help, I'm finding out more and more, self-help books are really, self-help teaching, self-help anything, if Jesus is not involved and the Holy Spirit is not involved, really should be relabeled self-hurt. Because what it's teaching you to do is try to be goal-oriented, do tasks to make life better, and guess what happens to all of us? Eventually we can't make those goals and we hit a what? How many have spent thousands of dollars in gym equipment? <laughs> Only to sell them at, D, uh, at a much lower price at a yard sale. And how many people after six years walk to this, another yard sale and say, hey, maybe I'll start up this time. <laughs> we can't go to the fact that everything's got dust on it. That's a great example of what I'm talking about. Eventually, you hit a what? Then you feel condemned. Every time somebody says, yep, I've been exercising, blah, 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 blah. And you're all like, yeah. I've got that $3,000 Bowflex thing in my basement that really holds my jackets really well. Just walk into condemnation. Hey, my, most of these guys are laughing because you know you spent three days setting up your little weight area. <laughs> and that's about as far as you got, wasn't it? <laughs> we do. We, 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 if we just tweak this and change that, 
Guys, we got to stop. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So here, I love 18. Here we go. We're going to land this thing here. I counsel you. Who's speaking if you have red letter edition? I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. So everybody say gold. So you become rich. And white clothes. Everybody say clothes. To wear so you can cover up your shameful nakedness. And salve. Everybody say salve. To put on your eyes so you can see. Now check this out. Check this out. I love this part. You're saying, how do I get the passion back for Jesus? How do I get it back? Well, number one, it never left. Your eyes are just not on it. It's still there. Just like the Bible that's still on the coffee table. It's still there. He's just saying, hey, check this out. Gold is treasure. Who is the treasure? Jesus. We are jars of clay with treasure in us. One. Number two. Who are the clothes? Jesus. Romans 13 says, clothe yourself in who? Jesus. Number three, who is the salve? Jesus. I don't mean to be redundant here, but Hebrews 12 says, keep your eyes fixed on who? The author and perfecter of your faith. See, Jesus is saying, let's back, get back to this. Jesus saying, I'm the gold, I'm the treasure, I'm the way, the truth, the life. Get back to that. Yes, you are Jesus. Nothing else is. You are the way, the truth, the life. He says, number two, get white clothes. In other words, put me on. I surrender, Lord. I surrender. I can't do it, but you've already done it. I surrender. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Here I am. I surrender. Give me a passion, Lord of God, because thank you, Lord, for what you've done. In Jesus' name, I put that on. And then he says, Put salve on your eyes so you may see. See what? See things as God sees them, not as you have spent your life trying to see them. Because far too often we get our eyes on everything the enemy wants us to see to get our focus off of our answer. He's our answer, guys. And I know you're sitting there right now and says, easy to say because he's the only one who gets to talk. i got lots of questions. Great. Ask me any questions you want, but start in the Word before you try to go make a point. Don't base it on your experience. Base it on the truth because either this is true or it's not. Your Christianity hinges on this Bible. Your true faith hinges on what's said in this Word. And I hate to sound black and white, but you know what? It's all or nothing. There's no in-between. Oh, but I'm a baby Christian. i got to grow. Great, you're still in all the way. has nothing to do with maturity yet. It has to do with where are you walking? See, he's transforming us and changing us according to verse 19. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. He's transforming us. I'm just telling you guys right now, stop running from the truth every time something gets crazy. Stop running from the truth every time everything feels okay. You know what I'm talking about? Stop running from the truth whenever you think you've got a handle on it. Stop running from the truth or you're going to lose your passion for Jesus. You are. 
Finally, he says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. Can you believe Jesus is saying, I've got to knock on a door to get into the heart of the believer? Now, you know, he's not, he's not so much saying, as I read it, he's not so much saying that he's completely absent, but how many just want to be in the presence of God and live with that presence? And you know, he just says, hey, I'm standing here. I've been knocking. If you would take the Aramaic, really look at it, it means I am knocking. I've been knocking. I have not stopped knocking. I'm knocking. And whoever opens the door in Jewish culture, a bride, a groom would stand outside knocking the door, and the bride would stand inside. And her yes answer was to open the door fully. What is our groom wanting his bride to do? Open the door so he can come in and be with us. You say, what do I do about my lack of passion? Well, I'm going to give you a simple answer that you can take with you, can take with you but you're going to have to choose what you do with it. Because it really does. I know a lot of people say, you know, the pastors, they just tell us what's, what, what's wrong with us, and, but they never tell us how to deal with it. You know what? I'm going to tell you right now. I can't, even if I had a direct step-by-step answer, it's not going to change a thing about any one of you unless you choose to walk it out. So why would I sit up here and say, 10 ways to ret- return to your, your, your first love? What good's it going to do? It's another self-help book, isn't it? Self-help lesson. No, I'm telling you right now, Jesus already said, you have everything in me. So, buy gold, put on the clothes, put salve in your eyes, stop thinking you know better, and stop basing God on your experiences. And start basing your experiences on God. Because God is more than able. I don't care how hopeless the situation. And I have lived hell over and over again in my life because I have refused to believe that. And I'm challenging you now, church, White Hill, those of you who came today, make it a point to reconnect and open that door wide and say, Jesus, I don't just want to believe in you. I want to believe you and I want to be with you because you certainly want to be with me. Restore my passion. Anybody hear that today? Lord, speak to our hearts. Every time we look at something and think we know, we get ourselves in trouble. But every time we see something happen and we look to you, we see you move in mighty ways. No matter how long it takes. So God, I just want to thank you right now for every person here. And Lord, I'm just praying over everyone I'm in here in Jesus' name that, Father, we, we give ourselves back to the point where you truly have come to do away with the old and bring in the new. I thank you, Lord Jesus. You desire that in Jesus' name for us. So restore us. We repent now of getting our eyes on everything else and not on you. God, you're good, and we praise you in Jesus' name. As you stand, I just want to share one last thing. She's not here, but I don't think she'd mind me saying this. I was talking to Sandy yesterday, and of course, Sandy fell Friday. She's got a shiner. She just looks great. 
But she said to me, and this is what she said on the phone yesterday, I thought, man, this is totally it. I get it. I get it. She said, all this is going on. I'm in the ER. My head is just throbbing. My eyeball feels like it's swollen shut, which it probably was. She said, I feel absolutely shot. I don't know what's going on. They're running every test known to man on me. It's just awful. And she said, what started to come to mind was, I just need to praise the Lord. And she said, and I laid there, and she said, I just needed to praise the Lord. And she said, but the more my head hurt, the more my eyes were on my head. And she said, the more that I was hurting all around, I was feeling sick to my stomach, the more my, my, my eyes were on that. She said, and I realized that was keeping me from praising God until I finally just said, enough. And she began to praise the Lord. Laying on that, in that ER. Now, did it, did it do miraculous, miraculous things where she stood up and the shiner disappeared and all this stuff? No, but you know what? Her peace was restored. Her love filled, his love filled her and the joy of the Lord began to transform her on the ER table. Do you follow what I'm saying? That's what the gospel begins to do. And guess what that does to nurses and doctors who need to see that? Guess what that does? Lord, we praise you.